Machinima we share yep. some time at in the gaming yep. space. R.I.P. Pour out a little. <laughs> I don't want to get the, the, the yeah. Verizon. Electrical fire. <laughs> R.I.P. Masters of Craft. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Good night, Verizon. Good night. We burned down Verizon. We burned down <laughs> <laughs> Video gaming was considered fringe culture. When we were building Machinima early, traditional entertainment people were sort of like, that seems stupid. Venture capitalists were like, wait, what games do you make? We don't make any games. So you make videos about kids playing video games? And other people's IP? Like, we were like, how, how is that even so it, it all seemed yep. weird, fringe, and super niche and we'd have to remind the venture capital community and the entertainment community that the games business is three times bigger than the movie business. Please stop talking as we begin the show. Hi, Sanjay Sharma, how are you? Chris Denson, what is going on? Sanjay, AKA Big Sharm, AKA, I had another whole like Charmin thing I was about to do. Anyway, before before we- I got a lot of don't squeeze this Charmin growing up. Don't, I'm sorry. You know, it's okay. Um, Before uh, we get too ridiculous. Greetings, everybody, and welcome to another installment of Innovation Crush Presents Masters of Craft. Do you feel masterful today? You, it doesn't roll off the tongue. Innovation Crush Masters of Craft. Uh, yeah, but that's, now that's too many words. I see. Why are they joined together? Because one is presenting the other. It's like Tyler Perry. It's like Tyler Perry's Tyler name Perry presents. Love is Tyler. on. Love Tyler. Big fan. Everything. Um, Innovation Crush Masters of Craft. Ooh. Will you please record the introduction to this? Welcome, everybody. Thank you for joining Innovation Crush, Masters uh, of Craft. Here's the problem I have with you. Uh-oh. Here uh, we go. You, Let's go. You have, <laughs> you have a fin- No. You have too much of a storied career to like identify with just one thing. And I wrote down some stuff. Awesome. Actually typed in a printed out paper. I'm, wow. Because I'm, yeah, I'm antiquated. I'm um, older than you, and that's why I have such a long and But I was like, career. you worked with the Clinton administration, you're a founder, an investor, you produce films and television, yes. you're a professor, a lawyer, a speaker, um, you spoke at Congress, uh, and then also you have an activist bent to you. Definitely all um, of the above. All of the above. How is all that packaged in one person and why? Uh, I don't take vacations. I don't play golf. Uh, I don't sleep very much. I like to work, man. I like my family, and I like to work. So I get a lot of shit done. <laughs> um, what does work get, do for you? Like when you are in go mode and you're making things, like what does that feel like for you? Um, if you are fortunate enough, as I think I have been, to align things you are interested in and passionate about with something that can pay your rent, like you don't work, right? You're just doing stuff you love. Um, not that it never feels like work, it often feels like work, and not that uh, every day, every week does not have a huge setback, you'll never be able to do this. Most of the things I've done, people said you won't be able to do that, including going to college. <laughs> so like, turns out you can do a lot uh, if you just like stay after it. So, you know, I think that's, I've done, like you said, I've you know, worked in government, government service, uh, politics, activism, technology, entertainment, media, most of that professionally. The mm-hmm. other stuff is all stuff, you know, outside of work. And you're, and you're only 26. And I'm great. only 26, yeah. The- <laughs> I, can, I can drink now. <laughs> um, like, I mean, if you can in an, in an abbreviated way, walk me through the path. And I'm like, I'm always sure. curious when people are like multi, multi hyphenates, what's the thread that ties them all together? And then we'll... Make our way into marginal media. That sounds awesome. Okay, so the 
quick version of a long story. Um, I'm a first-generation American. I was born in India. I grew up in the Deep South, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Uh, I was when we moved there, there were not many Indian families in the city. Oh, <laughs> Sur- you don't, surprise! You don't say. <laughs> there, there are now a super diverse uh, and an amazing place now. Uh, my parents still live there, still go back there. Um, doing a lot of work right now for the community there and especially the film and digital media and arts community there, which we can talk about at the end if we have time. Um, my parents are also Marxists. What is that? Uh, but, okay. Like I think Karl it's the Marx, first time that's been Marxist uttered socialist. on any interview I've ever done. <laughs> so, <laughs> so not that many Marxists there, um, publicly open about it. Uh, yeah. Very radical, pacifist, progressive people. Uh, and amazing people, and one of the many reasons why I think I've been attracted to activism and progressive politics uh, and government service. Um, wanted to be a filmmaker since the time I could remember. Always loved music, always loved film, wrote and directed little stupid short films, made music videos, skate videos. Um, went to college in New York City uh, at Columbia to study film. By the time I finished college, realized that uh, the world of film is the domain of rich white people. <laughs> so should have been obvious, but when people right. are like, hey, I raised $500,000 to make my first film, and you ask people how one goes about doing that, and the answer 10 times out of 10 when you push is I ask my family for the money. Yeah. And I sort of said, hey, and this is, this is ages ago, this is pre-internet, if you can imagine a time, um, pre-commercial internet. The, the, the Mosaic oh, right. browser was, was up and running. Uh, Netscape was up and running. Um, but pre-active, like active, you know, Absolutely. you, you yeah, couldn't yeah. just hit somebody and say, hey, can I follow you around for a day? I love your music videos, right? Um, and so I wrote letters to Spike Lee. I wrote letters to Ang Lee. Can, hey, can I get a job? All the yeah, Lees. N- all the Lees, right? Um, Bruce? Did not write to Bruce. I, you oh. know, yeah. All right. Just um, his uh, his Instagram account is amazing. Still, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, his family a does a great active. job. The family with their brand. is like, amazing. Yeah, the family is amazing. Um, but anyway, I I sort of said, look, zoom out, take a generational and global view, right? My parents grew up in rural India with no water and no electricity, <laughs> right? Wow. And in one generation, here you are, right? Um, so I just thought, look, it's not the right time, right? Maybe it's not in the cards. Maybe I'll have the ability to come back to that. Uh, maybe if I'm lucky, my kids will have the ability to come to it, but it's probably not in the cards, right? And so I thought, what else do I love? I love government service. Moved to DC, worked in the Clinton administration for uh, the Attorney General, Janet Reno, who was amazing. Um, that got me, ex- that was the first time I'd met a lawyer um, and met many lawyers and super high octane lawyers at DOJ. Uh, thought, okay, Law is interesting. It's impactful. You don't need family wealth to enter it. Yeah. Uh, you don't need connections to enter it. Um, and so I applied to a bunch of law schools, uh, moved out to California, uh, went to Stanford for law school, right when the commercial internet is really ripping, right? Mm-hmm. Google had started, Yahoo had started, all of the kind of V1 uh, monster internet companies were like just getting started. Um, so foolishly, I was paying to be in Silicon Valley and going to school (laughs) rather than interning at any one of 100 startups in a walking mile radius of of the Stanford campus, uh, which might have changed a a different trajectory for me. Uh, But I I loved the school. Um, And yeah, then I so I finished school, moved to L.A., began working as a technology transactions attorney. 
uh, represented a bunch of movie studios, and that is how I kind of took a second way, second crack at getting into the movie business mm-hmm. um, from the business side of it. Um, I, so that's how I ended up in LA, and that's how I started my career. There's a, a thing that's kind of itching at me right now. Scratching at me? Itching. One or the other. The so, um, itching. Scratching, scratching sounds. It's, yeah. it's, 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 it's like, what is that? Like, you have to pay if it's. You got to feed the itch. Right. You don't have to feed a scratch. I don't think you have to feed either one of them, technically. The, so, <laughs> no, it, the, the uh, doubt is the word that I actually wrote down mm. um, because you talk about in this early phase where you're like, oh, that's probably not for me. Right. Um, and, you know, when we look at your story career today, like there's a lot of things that in the end were for you. Um, what is your view on doubt now? Doubt. Wow. Uh, so doubt is a powerful thing. Uh, it's a terrible seed to plant in other people. Um, and I think especially if you're uh, a person of color or if you're from a disadvantaged, marginalized community, immigrant community, disability community, you're probably raised with doubt, right? So it's planted in you, whether you did it, whether your parents did it intentionally, unintentionally, the world you are raised in has probably planted that seed, right? Um, so I have not really looked back at my life or career as having doubt be an element of it, but now that you mention it, it it's of, of course has been, right? Um, not knowing whether you'd get into or go to college, uh, not knowing whether you could pursue the career that you always thought you wanted to pursue and then don't see a path, don't see anyone like you, have no mentors, no one kind of handing, handing you mm-hmm. a, path, a pass in. Um, and sort of just finding your way. Um, but I will say it's, it's a hard one to shake um, because even in, you know, it's inside of a major studio, Warner Brothers, and then in my like startup life since then, whether it's in ad tech or in digital media, most of the things I've done are, like I said, things that most people would say, you can't do that, or right. that's gonna be really tough, or that's stupid, you're an idiot. Right. And so that's that's one I usually get. Exactly. That's what exactly. Right. (laughs) And so, you know, when you get feedback like that, it's hard not to have doubt triggered. Right. Like, oh, maybe I was right to have that self-doubt. But I think if you have an entrepreneurial instinct, like if you and entrepreneurship is kind of a loaded and slightly douchey word these days, Uh, if you like to build things or make things or don't like huge corporate environments with bureaucracy and just like that gets you out of bed in the morning, um, which there are many people around the world who have that instinct, mm-hmm. uh, whether they would call themselves entrepreneurs or not. Um, doubt may also drive you and kind of give you a little bit of energy, which for me, it definitely does. Yeah. I like being the underdog, um, maybe because I've had to be, but I also find like it gives me energy to do well, things no, that people like say you can't. Imposter syndrome. Right. It's like a constant like buzz. Yes. Right. And right. it also is the thing that makes me do excellent work. Or at least attempt right. to. Right. Um, you do excellent and, work. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Um, right. But yeah, like I, I think any sort of fault, I don't know, I don't mm-hmm. know if that's the right word, mm-hmm. can become a superpower, you know, yeah. to, to some degree. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think when you have, have had to, like, push yourself harder and more is expected of you and you have to work three times harder, three times faster, three times better. Mm -hmm. Um, 
it it does push you. Not that it's not that that's a good reason, because <laughs> it's an ultimately that reason is born therapy out of, is also out of a, inequity. A, a, probably a thing <laughs> that people should you know. Dive yeah, into. yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, look. Fast forward. You've kind of uh, you go th- from the Warner Brothers through your tech ventures through you know a stint at All Dev Digital. Yep. Um, and Machinima, we shared yep. some time at yep. in the gaming yep. space. Uh, R.I.P. The uh, <laughs> yeah, pour, pour out a little. I don't want to get the, the, the yeah. Verizon electrical fire. <laughs> the <laughs> R.I.P. Masters of Craft. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Good night, Verizon. Good night. Uh, we burned down Verizon. We burned down. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that time? Remember that time? <laughs> No, like uh, now I forgot my my train of thought. So now you've actually turned this into an organization that does the very thing that you like solves for the very thing yep. you've been uh, we've been talking about. Yep. Uh, yep. Walk us through marginal media. So and- so marginal is my third startup. Um, as you you mentioned Machinima, where we were uh, lucky enough to meet and work at, which was in the video gaming space. Um, interestingly enough, even at that time, which you remember, but now probably many people don't remember video gaming was considered fringe culture. Like when we were building Machinima early, traditional entertainment people were sort of like, that seems stupid. <laughs> right? yeah, exactly. <laughs> like yep. venture capitalists were like, wait, what games do you make? We don't make any games. So you make videos about kids playing video games. And other people's IP, like, like how, how is that even so monetizable? It, it all seemed... Yep weird fringe and super niche and we'd have to remind the venture capital community and the entertainment community that the games business is three times bigger than the movie business right so these things that seem marginal actually have massive outsized cultural and commercial value um and machinima was a great example of that twitch obviously you know came later and became even bigger and now we have The Last of Us, and suddenly everyone's like, oh, my God, video gaming. <laughs> video games are cool. Right? <laughs> um, and so, you know, that, that's one example. All Def was another strand in a similar theme, which is hip-hop seemed to traditional entertainment people and to the venture community niche. It seemed like something that was cool, but niche. And you have to remind people, it's the largest category of streaming on all of Spotify in nearly every territory of the world. It's by definition not niche anymore. <laughs> yeah. Just that's yeah. just by numbers, right? And so it's it's interesting when you, you know, love subculture and understand that it drives all culture and culture sits above policy, above law, above everything else, mm. right? So marginal really kind of comes out of that long running thesis that um minority communities, marginalized communities, are the creators, consumers of culture that drive global commerce and culture, right? And so um, name comes from a Toni Morrison quote, which is, I'll hang in the margin and let the center look for me. Uh, Everything we do centers otherness uh, and aims to normalize otherness through commercial storytelling. Um, We make feature films. We've made eight movies in just over three years. Our next two premiere at Tribeca um, of eight films in competition, two will be ours. Mm-hmm. All you know, amazing indie films, um, all by first, second time filmmakers, all filmmakers of color and or queer um, immigrants. So that theme runs through all of it. Um, commercial, mm-hmm. uh, Latinx horror, a South Asian comedy, 
Um, the film we ha- one of the films we have at Tribeca is- stars Tierra Whack, the Interscope recording artist. Cipher. So, like that, Cipher. That's the one I'm excited yeah, about. Exactly. Like, I mean, not, uh, I'm excited yeah. about all of it, hey, but like that no, one. Was like, we're we're very excited yeah, yeah. about that one, um, and it's been you know four years in the making. Um, just from when Tierra dropped that first little visual album, I was like, oh my god, this this bananas. is bananas, yeah. bananas, right? Um, We've sold our first TV show, which is set up at Amazon. Our first animated series is set up at Hulu. Uh, we do a good bit of work in audio, scripted fiction, um, and pod, you know, kind of podcasting. Um, and so, you know, doing a lot of work across these media and formats. Um, we have several international projects, local language projects in India, in South Korea. Um, so we see the changes that technology. Uh, streaming, uh, of course, 5G accelerates streaming, right? Um, global penetration of these devices, um, just changing fundamentally the the next hundred years of entertainment and storytelling, uh, which will be less centered on the traditional U.S.-driven studio theatrical business. Yeah. Um, that won't go away, and I love that business, and I'm a film nerd. I like small movies and huge movies alike. Um, but just the consumer behavior... Um, and the business yeah. around distributing, creating and distributing commercial storytelling will look very different over the next hundred years. So we're a studio that is sort of centered on um, if we started a new studio, the next Warner Brothers, the next Disney in 2025 from scratch, what would that look like? Yeah. Um, and it would be diverse in its DNA, that wouldn't be a mission statement, that would just be reflective of the global population, which is 80% not yeah. white. Um, and it would be super tech- technologically enabled and savvy. So we have under the hood, a huge data sciences operation. We're doing a lot of work in generative AI that we don't talk about because it scares people. Let's talk about it. <laughs> it it, 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 yeah, it yeah. also kind of fits within a theme that's been running in my head uh, in the last couple minutes, which is this perception versus reality, mm-hmm. right? Like you talk about hip hop or whatever other mm-hmm. community that feels marginalized, but it's actually like a lot more right. gigantic than for some reason is understood. Right. Uh, do you know why? Do you know why the perception doesn't match the num- the actual reality of numbers? I think the, it, well, the, yeah, I told you I was raised by Marxists. The answer, colonialism. <laughs> so, so Let's move on. No, no, no. Wh- white power is a motherfucker, right? Yeah. Um, so look, these industries are dominated, uh, the business of the industries, and especially storytelling industries, right? Um, the, the games business is no exception, right? These are very white-dominated industries, right? Um, the historical way these industries run um, are very insular, club-like, and the to the extent they use data, the data that they use is not that different from the venture capital community either, right? right. Why, why are black engineers so underrepresented in the Valley? Yeah. You know, so it's like, wait, why is that, right? There's, again, no shortage of talent out there, but access, opportunity, people willing to mentor and bring in is a different thing, right? Yeah. And so I think it's easy when um, you have a sort of like, engine that is controlled, in Hollywood at least, by a fairly small group of people, um, intermediaries, gatekeepers, ultimate decision makers, um, predominantly used to a traditional order yeah. and a traditional way of doing things. And uh, there was I saw something that I think Jerry Bruckheimer put out when Top Gun Maverick was coming out that he'd asked like, his team to give him, like, who are the 15 biggest movie stars? 
And he was surprised that it's like the same 15 movie stars, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so when you're in that insular world, it's not that hard to understand, wait, why is it that they think, you know, they're surprised by a breakout black movie or Asian American movie? Why were people so surprised that Crazy Rich Asians was a giant hit? It's over five years ago now, right? right. It's like a super sexy, rich cast, a great movie, hilarious. <laughs> yeah, it's, got all the you know, it's got all the things that would make a well, commercial hit, right? Well, something else I heard you say. You talked about there was, um, there was an American interviewer who interviewed the, the star of Squid Game. And he was like, how does it feel to, you know, finally break into stardom? He's like, no, he's already been like, and it, again, it goes into that perception versus reality. That's right. Yeah. He, yeah. He's like, I'm, where I'm from, I'm considered giant star already. Like, so it's like stardom isn't new. I have, we have, you know, these projects, we have several projects in India and I'm fortunate enough to know some of the, you know, the, the world's biggest talent, which is based in India, writers, actors, actresses. And when they come here, it's like, Oh, right. <laughs> hard to get a meeting, hard to get people to pay attention. And I, this is, again, this perception that, oh, that's cool. You're a star in a niche territory. And now people are starting, in the case of India in particular, it's the largest democracy in the world. It's 1.4 billion people. Yeah. That's America plus a billion people. Right. right? Well, there's this, <laughs> so. I think there's a general Americanization of most things. It just reminds me of this other comedian named I can't remember, uh, Gil. He's a, uh, he's French, but he's like I'm like the Jerry Seinfeld of France. And there's a skit before he does a special. It's mm -hmm. like he's opening for Jerry Seinfeld, and, uh -huh. <laughs> and Jerry's like, "Who you? You're the Jerry Seinfeld." Like he did, like just had oh, no right. idea that this dude was big. And now he has a show actually on Netflix where it's um. It's hit, you know, mm -hmm. like a, a faux reality version of him trying to make it now in America. And no one oh, knows. Oh, I know what you're talking about. It's, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, right, it, right, you know, right, it's interesting. Right, I, I mean, I love right. this perspective you have on sort of the global, you know, mass potential mm -hmm. of, mm -hmm. of certain genres and, you know, and cultures yeah. when it comes to entertainment and like the marriage of entertainment and technology. Right. Um, what do you think, from your bird's eye view, we have yet to learn or get right here? And try to keep it to a short list. Sorry, <laughs> I'm a mic hog at karaoke. You're like, try to keep it short. We're running no, out I'm of just, time. I just meant there's probably, <laughs> we just started and probably a lot of things. <laughs> so, so I was like, what are the top like, for, three for you? For entertainment and technology, um, I think with entertainment, this will ch this has to change it will change just because demographics is destiny right so 80% of the world's premium entertainment is made by hollywood 80% of the world is non-white now in an era of global streaming where the market is the global market and america is essentially tapped out right yeah. uh the biggest sources of growth are asia Africa, LATAM, right? Non-white territories, right? So that change will have to happen. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, hopefully it happens in my lifetime. It will happen in our kids' lifetime, right? It has to. That's just demographics and global, the global consumer base, right? Um, so that is, I think, inspiring and optimistic if you are someone that's always felt like you're on the outside of this industry to understand that the industry is going to, you thought you are in the margins, it's going to come to you. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so that's my take on how the streaming, the impact of streaming on a global content marketplace will happen. No one would have thought that a 
Korean show like Squid Game would be the biggest TV show in the world. No one would have thought a black French criminal named Lupin would become a global star. No, none of those shows would have been greenlit by the traditional American TV process, yeah. right? Um, on the technology side, streaming, I think, is just the tip of the spear because it helps people understand, oh, content will be digitally distributed and that makes it accessible on a phone, on a laptop, and to the global population rather than through terrestrial cable or through theaters, right? Well, I think also with like this amount of access, um, both on just the ability to access content and the ability to make it, right? There's all sorts of waves happening, coming, going, crashing, right. what's happening in streaming. Yep. At the, at the time of this taping, um, we're, <laughs> we're in the middle of a writer's strike. And yep. that's like, is that, yep. you know, the last time we had a big one, it gave rise to reality television. Yep. It's just, there's a lot of like unsure footing. Yeah. You yeah. also got into a business that has a very long sales and development cycle. Even yep. though you mentioned four years, yep. you've been working on this, right? Where yep. Yep. if you're a traditional entrepreneur, is like, ah, you're going to give it 18 months and try to and, do your raise. Yep. Um, what, why did you decide to, to get into this business, right? Where it's so fractured. It's it's uh, it's hard. Um, I decided to get into the to, to get into this business uh, partly because it's the only thing I ever wanted to do. Um, and at the time, I was you know five. It was four, four, late mid forties. Uh, I was like, hey, I got to take a run at this. You know, and if it fails, it fails. But I got to take a third run. And if it's a third organ rejection from the entertainment industry, <laughs> then then so be it. Um, and then I'll go get another job or I'll go start something in, in tech again. Um, that's, that's the real, that's the emotional Reasoning, reason. Yeah. 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 Um, and then as I started to do the research around it, um, I started to feel like, holy shit, this is actually a giant commercial opportunity, <laughs> right? Um, partly because of that demographic analysis and partly because of the impact of technology, right? And so thinking about how data sciences in particular um, how, how low the bar was in entertainment for applying technology, right? So streaming just gave me the conviction that more and more entrants to this market um, will understand and appreciate how technology can dislocate traditional industries mm -hmm. and how it can enhance other industries, right? So this is, I'm not a like kill Hollywood, technology will kill Hollywood. I do think Hollywood will change and adapt as it always has to technological changes. And that is an opportunity, right? Yeah. And so data science is an example. Um, we acquired a company last year called Fresno, um, which is a data sciences startup. Um, and that gives us the ability when we look at material to test and validate audience, audience sizes, demographics, demographic interests globally around a piece of material. That could be a screenplay, that right. could be a book, that could be a newspaper article. And it's not the definitive uh, determinant of whether we move on a project. It's a piece of information that is helpful to us in deciding, right? right? Um, so when we look at something, we, we kind of go through our normal process, then we've created a slightly different proprietary process to do what in Hollywood you call script coverage, um, partly to take bias, systemic bias out of that process, and partly to do it in a different way, because we think there's an opportunity to do that in a better and slightly more data-driven way. And then we validate, is there audience around this, yeah. right? Um, rather than one guy reads a script, it's usually a guy, uh, and his gut says, I think this is hot, 
and then two years, three years, four years later, you make a movie, it's a million bucks, it's 10 million bucks, it's 20 million bucks, it's a studio movie, it's 100 million bucks, and then you start doing focus groups and testing, right. which always seems so like... Just one guy's like... Yeah, yeah, so now coverage. you're doing the focus groups, and you need to go do reshoots, you need to re-edit the movie, hey, the focus groups are coming back, it's like, well, what, what analysis went into developing and greenlighting the movie before? 65 right? million, <laughs> the, uh, Adam Driver. The <laughs> right. Um, no. I thought that movie looked pretty good. I love Adam Driver. Oh, me too. Yeah, me too. Adam Driver, dinosaurs. What else, what more do you need? I'm uh, Just a lightsaber, like that would be cool. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> um, so you mentioned Fresno. Uh, you also talked about like our cultural fear of artificial intelligence. Yes. Um, but I feel like this has also been around for a long time, right? Yep. Oh, AI can do this. Oh, no, our jobs are going to be right. gone. Right. Um, it's becoming a lot more prevalent in culture or at least discussed. Yep. Um, you know, I'm going to actually put your lawyer hat on for a second. Okay. And talk about ownership. You know, with like music that's being created or scripts that are being written or, you know, art that's being created, like all these things, Mm -hmm. like who owns what and like how, what's what's your crystal ball tell you on like how that will play out? Uh, Super complicated. And I don't, I don't know that anyone knows. I mean, right now and for disclosure, I haven't practiced law in like 15 years. So, you know, what do I know? I met you, you Um, but (laughs) I, I, you know, I'm just the nerd in me is super fascinated about this because that, that was my area of focus is intellectual property. Oh, awesome. Um, and so it's, it's like why it's, it will be wild west. Right. So, um, I believe writers, uh, currently on strike are absolutely correct to be like, I don't say fearful, but concerned. Um, and to be planting a flag that things should not be originated by AI for the moment, right? That may change, and their opinion may change on it as people get more and more comfortable with different usages of different applications of the technology, right? Whether they're tools to enhance creativity or displace creativity are two different strands that the tech can go in, right? Um, So I I think it will be similar to... um, we there was a lot of confusion. I'm trying to think of good analogies. Um, Andy Warhol does the Campbell soup, and then a hundred Campbell soups, and you know, like sort of right. commercial production of pop, call it pop art, right? Um, which called into question a lot of issues around like, hey, can he do that? That's that's our brand. That's our mm-hmm. logo, right? Um, and you know, we have a system that vets and understands and goes through fair use and art and what you can do and can't do with other people's copyright and their protected uh, copyright and IP. Um, and in the case of art and free speech, we've off generally erred to the side of free speech, right? Um, I think that's a good thing. And I think there should be more places where um, IP can enter uh, what uh, this guy Larry Lessig calls the creative commons, right? Mm. And so a shared pool of IP that people can draw from freely. Um, Major media companies generally don't like that because they want to protect their IP as long as humanly possible. Um, They extend the Copyright Act on their protected IP. Understandable. They're protecting things they have invested hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in. There's a whole big story about Disney with that. And like how they're like one of the big rule benders and like change makers when it comes to like the extension of copyrights. That's right. That's right. Public domain and all this. That's right. So in general, owners of IP and media companies want to own that IP as long as possible and to protect it, right? Um, understandable. That's their commercial mandate. 
and they've invested in generally hundreds of millions of dollars in building up those IPs. So they want to protect them and monetize them as long as humanly possible, right? But we also have this thing called the public domain for a reason. And uh, this concept of something called the creative commons, which is at some point, creativity needs to be nourished. And if everything is protected, nothing new can be created, right? right. Um, and, and so in a world of like, there's no new stories, it gets harder and harder and harder for creativity to flourish, right? So I think um, for the usages of AI mm -hmm. um, as a tool to help writers, to help visual artists, it will not. It will be a lot like what we saw with pop art. It may be like what we saw with sampling and hip hop. I think people were like, "This blows my mind. These guys are ripping off mm -hmm. other people's music," and now I think people generally agree. Oh, they're creating something wholly different, um, leveraging yeah. a lot of other material and assembling it in a very diff fundamentally different way, right? Um, and that's art and that's art from the margins that becomes its own commercial art and it can't exist without drawing from other things right so and that's not new to hip-hop that like classical music yeah. has quoted other and referenced other classical music like so that's not a new thing um but in a technology environment we can absolutely like track it and pin <laughs> it down so it becomes more complicated which yeah which is uh, i don't know I've, i have two thoughts one I, I need to circle back on you being a jazz dj um but before that um a friend of mine wrote a book called The Pirate's Dilemma, and he talked about these histories of mm. "quote unquote" piracy. Mm -hmm. um, and one mm -hmm. of my favorite anecdotes from you know from that from that book is um, the the introduction of the phonograph and vinyl. Yeah, right. And like right, all right, these right, bands right. were touring, and that's mm -hmm. how they were making their money from venue to venue, going mm -hmm. to multi-city tours. And then they thought that, well, if I can just play it in my venue, oh no, uh, you know, I'm out of a job, out right. of money, out of work, et cetera, et cetera. Um, uh, but what did it do? It actually like popularized them more than they could ever have been popularized. Right. So right, I think, right, right, you know, right. if Great we example. take the right perspectives on some of these things, they can be very much assistive to the industry and or yep. your career or whatever it might be yep. and not taking it from like, oh no, the robot wars are about to happen. Right. Um, totally agree. And it, I think... Um, Done right. I mean, they are about to happen, though. Just, just seeing it. and they're starting oh, at the right. Oh, they're track. happening. They're going to start here. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so this is, you know, this is the futuristic lab where it all starts. Exactly. Right? Um, no, but technology uh, for, you know, the ability to democratize access to very hard to enter industries. Technology is pretty good at that, right? Um, the turntable made, you know, entering into music turning the turntable into a musical instrument <laughs> right, right is technology uh creating a this like democratizing effect right yes. um and so if you're an aspiring writer but you and you have great stories but you haven't had the ability to go to a great uh, a film school or to learn final draft the, the format of a screenplay right yeah. is its own thing and if you submit a screenplay in the town and it, formatting is all fucked up 
people assume you don't know what you're doing and it's you're not literally a good what happened to me like I, so when i, when I was in college and i loved <laughs> writing sketch comedy right and i was sending my scripts around to like because I, I bought a book where you could like get all these studio executives um right. one guy out of probably like 75 mm-hmm. hit me up and he was like i love your stuff it's written terribly like format wise and like i had no idea because i was doing i was writing like a play you would get out you know right. in your high school uh, right right <laughs> you know, so right um exactly but, but it's yeah. it's like it's also somebody taking the time to to look past the presentation that's right which is also hard especially now because we are constantly inundated with you know just the new things there's, there's so much information to filter through that's right it's it's a very so these are these are all aspects of most industries but especially the entertainment industry where there is systemic bias and it's not necessarily because people are racist um many are many aren't many are super well-intentioned but it's a high vo- like the amount of scripts that you get the amount of inbound inquiries it's just huge so it's for humans to go through them right. and not you know put aside any like biases is, is not possible right yeah. and so there are some proxies that people use to judge is this material worth my time or not right and so if something comes to them from one of the major agencies okay that has the like patina of a major agency on it and so i'm gonna prioritize it right if it comes from a email and the formatting is all messed up the instinct is it's amateur it's probably not that good right right and so very few people can take the time to say let me look past that let me read this guy's sketch comedy this guy's hilarious yes. even though the formatting is all fucked up by the way <laughs> i apologize in my confirmation email to you i wrote where whatever you like and it was w-h-e-r-e i noticed uh, just kidding, I did not notice. Yeah. <laughs> so why were you a jazz DJ? <laughs> uh, oh, good question. I forgot. I did not forget about that, but that's funny that you mentioned that. People don't bring that up. Um, I was, that was my first job. I was a jazz DJ. Why? Because I love jazz music and grew up. Like, were you doing venues music. or were you on like a radio station? No, or? not like a DJ, like a radio station oh, DJ. Oh, okay. Yeah. Let's move on. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I hosted a jazz show in Baton Rouge. <laughs> did you? Yeah. Uh, we have so much, WBRH, have 90.3 so much FM. to do for you. Um, I had a radio name and I, I was told I could not, I, I was told I needed to use an American name. <laughs> nice. Uh, do you know what Nelson Mandela's real name is? No. Kole Hlahla. True story. I started reading the book to my son last night okay. about Nelson Mandela. I only and know I was like, it's, his name is what? His name became Nelson when he went to school. Ah. Because it was British rule in the South. Anyway, so speaking of British rule, all deaf digital. Um, speaking, <laughs> speaking of colonialism. I'm really terrible at segues. What, what, what did you learn working with a Russell Simmons? Like, if we're talking about hip hop, you know, yep. these, I, somebody who definitely went against the grain and created a lot of culture that we see and experience today. Like, what did you learn in the two, three years you were? Uh, yeah, running, I mean, you know, help, help, help Russell start that. And, it, you, know, ran, you know, we didn't know each other. We got introduced through mutual friends at Google actually, I think. Um, I grew up, you know, admiring and loving Def Jam in particular and had a ton of Def Jam records on, you know, that purple label, you know, I mean, you saw that thing and you knew it was going to be hot. Um, And so Def Jam in particular, Def Comedy Jam, Def Poetry Jam, all, you know, Fat Farm, the Mm -hmm. blueprint that was created uh, for hip hop, urban culture, call it, and the many recording artists, fashion designers, comedians, stand-up comics, sketch comics that came out of that world. 
um, I think is still maybe the most powerful cultural movement in the country and by extension the world, maybe even to this day, right? That's yeah. that's still all of the biggest touring comics, the you know, like so yeah. uh, it's that's still Jay Z and who you know, like all of the all all of uh, all of that. So I was just like, wow, and I was a, a, a you know obsessed by that world, and it had a huge impact on me personally growing up. Um, and one of the many reasons I wanted to move to New York, I'd never been in New York City, that's why I wanted to move to New York City. Um, so it was. Um, it was an amazing ride. It was a lot of ups and downs. It was a challenging market. We learned a lot of things the hard way. We did a lot of stuff that people said you can't really do. Started a bunch of formats on digital that I think now people would say, oh, that's a TV show, <laughs> right? Uh, but you know, we made them in our little studio downtown with a small group of super talented, super diverse young kids. But you yeah. know, like, um, so it was for a moment. It was. Um, the thesis was sort of like hip hop's answer to Vice, um, or if Complex were started as a video first publication, uh, rather than something uh, coming out of a digital print magazine publishing culture. Um, and so very quickly, um, we understood tech the technology uh, platform dynamics on YouTube in particular. And this is where I think um, traditional entertainment people will have to adapt, right? Is understanding the platforms that you're distributed on and the the way algorithms work, the way search works, the way customer acquisition works. All of that stuff is um, stuff that traditional entertainment people haven't really had to worry about. Mm -hmm. Like you make a great film, that's your that's all you can do. And then the studio marks it, markets it, it's released in the, you know, like you don't really need to know the distribution exactly, technology. Yeah. You don't need to know how the Netflix algorithm, you know, now you do, right? And so early, early, we learned very quickly, um, and we knew this from our days at Machinima, um, oh, this is how YouTube works. And YouTube is the second biggest search engine in the world behind only Google. And so we figured out how to create formats that natively worked very, very well in video and social video environments, right? Um, and so quickly that became, on in video at least, bigger than Vice, bigger than Complex, bigger than all of those guys in, in video. On, in print or page views, not, nothing. We didn't even, we didn't have a website, right? Yeah. Um, and so it was, a, it was a great, it was a wild ride and a great run <laughs> while it lasted. Um, I told you we were gonna talk about cancel culture a little bit. The, I have a I have a an unpopular opinion mm -hmm. on separating the art from the artist. Oh, okay. Um, okay. What, what what in your opinion? Because I look at like Ezra Miller, Jonathan Majors, um, everybody yep. who's kind of like they've given us great talent, but they've also been assholes to some sliding scale of severity. Yep. Um, what's your take, especially just given yep. the fact yep. that you're working with a lot of creators yep. and every day some, you don't know what somebody's doing behind closed doors or yep. what they tweeted six years ago. Yep. Like, how are you handling cancel culture? Um, it's a great question. It's a hard one to answer, partly because of the environment we're in, right? Um, I do find it... Um, we need some nuance in the conversation. Um, I personally am a second chances kind of guy. Like, you know, we, we should have a world in which people are given grace and compassion and second chances. There's some things that are unforgivable, 
right? Uh, and there's some, so some of this is the nuance. Uh, I, don't, I don't remember exactly the Ezra Miller story, but like, you know, he broke into a house or something. You know, I mean, yeah, it, was like, like, it was like, it was like a, uh, yeah. you know, he was on a run for a second. Like, a, yeah. <laughs> it's like five, you know, like five so or six things back to back. There's, there's yeah. some, there's a spectrum of like, you know, was it a, petty crime, especially, you know, especially criminal acts, what we call describe as criminal acts, disproportionately impact people of color, right? And so they're usually the ones that are like, oh, yeah, I had this drug offense, or I had this thing, or I had that thing. And so our whole communities are taken out of the game because of uh, indiscretion as a teenager, as a young person, like, that's, that, that's not good for communities of color or marginalized communities, right? Um, we're the disproportionately were disproportionately impacted by those kinds of prosecutions and those kinds of criminal laws, right? Um, now, violence, right? Uh, misogyny, homophobia, transphobia, some of these things we need to just get out of the system, right? Yeah. Um, you can go do other things, but when we start thinking about um, the impact of who gets to tell stories, right? Who gets to create commercial art that impacts the world, uh, I do think we need to pay some attention to, wait, in, in every other industry this has happened too, right? Are you the right person to run that business, right? Do you embody the values of the business that you're, that, that, do you embody the values of your business, right? So when a major brand says, we stand for this, and then it's like, oh, right, but you employ a bunch of child labor there, like, so it's not if it's incongruous, then you should be accountable for that, mm -hmm. right? Um, so I don't think of it. I I, I usually look at these things through like a, a an accountability lens or a consequences culture, mm -hmm. right? Not so much cancel, right? It's, it's less about like canceled out, never work again. But did you say that? <laughs> yeah. Well, also, so, but also it's like, and, it's, it's, and, you know, sometimes up to the audiences, right? It's, it's up to the people who are like... That's right. So I... Regardless I, if you have an ethics clause in your, in your contract and like you should be able to come back, like some people just don't want you. That's right. So do you want to support this person's new soap product or do you want to support this person's new movie? And at some point, you know too much about their personal lives like yeah I'm people have the harvey weinstein uh, shampoo like that's <laughs> the harvey weinstein shampoo <laughs> selling hot off the right right um but so you know i don't that's not a it's not a great answer but i yeah. do i do think sometimes um people should be accountable for what they say the way they behave and what and and what they think like if you really think that Tucker Carlson, right? Then I don't want to have anything to do with yep. you. I don't want people to support you. You have many of other platforms. A lot of the people that have been canceled, so-called canceled, I'm like, what are you talking about? They still have massive platforms. Yeah. They're still doing just fine. Where's the cancellation, right? Tucker Carlson's going to be good. Did he get canceled? I don't think so. Still has a giant megaphone. We'll probably get some giant Spotify deal. You know, like right. he's the next Joe Rogan. Boom. Like he's good. So it's just like, wait, who's, so suddenly it's like, oh, right. So when a person of color commits an indiscretion, they're canceled. We don't need to ever work with you again. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I, I look at it a little differently. Um, but I, I'm, I maybe I'm unabashedly woke around this stuff. Ooh. I'm okay with it. Yeah. Like let's, we need that pendulum to swing the other way. Um, most of the people I find who are so concerned about it and, tell me 
in private, like, I just feel like I can't say anything. It's like, well, welcome to our whole lives. I've always been worried about what I say in mixed company. You've yeah. always had to self-censor yourself. It's a lifetime of Commi- fear um, of cancel culture. Right? in your head before that, you say. That the, you know, yeah. that the law firm partner might not think you're a team player if you just, you know, like, it's, that's the world. If you're a person of color, that's, that's your life has been a life of fear of cancel culture. <laughs> so it's like, you can deal with it for a couple of years. It's cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Caleb. Yeah. Hey. You remember meeting Caleb. We met Caleb. Oh, uh, Caleb yeah. tripped on the yeah. stairs as he walked in. He did in. trip up the stairs. Yeah. And he, and he, he almost his, tripped and me. And he broke his back. Um, yeah. Did, yeah, come here. Did, uh, hi, I like your beard. Oh, thank you. Did, you saw beef, right? I like the beef. Oh, beef was incredible. Beef is incredible. Because um, you do a Chip. lot of celebrating, and I have a compounded like point of conversation. What was your take on, on, on beef? Uh, it was absolutely absurdly good. I mean, it was some of the best writing I've seen recently, and it, it. and it was so incredibly relatable in a new way that I think was I've never seen in television. But at the same time, incredibly unique because it came from the Asian American culture, mm-hmm. like that that side of things. Did I like? I had hesitated watching it so because I just didn't want to binge on anything right now. I just didn't have the time. Yep. And I sprained my back, and I was like, I was laying out for like two weeks. So what did I do? Is the first thing I turned it on, and I couldn't stop. It was, I mean. Just the performances down to the writing, to the dialogue, and how real and raw it was, but then how fast it spiraled out of control and immediately became unrelatable after a certain point because I was mm-hmm. like, it's basically, you know, I, I, I would say it's it's like somebody letting all their, uh, what do you call those thoughts that you don't want to come out? I can't, yeah. uh, intrusive right. thoughts. It's like, right. what, what if you let them actually yeah. uh, occur? Yep. And that's basically what that whole show is. Yep. It's okay. so good. Yeah. Occur. Occur. <laughs> no, because, well, you know, cause I, sorry, I couldn't help myself. <laughs> The, because I, I was like, you got to watch the show. Um, the reason the I bring is, it up because you yeah. do a lot of celebrating of the community, especially when it comes yep. to your involvement in Cape. Um, yep. And yep. my take on beef was like, it it could have been anybody. Like as far as like yep. road rage and dealing with like the haves and the have nots yep. and anger and divorce yep. and mm-hmm. say, like all the mm-hmm. themes were so universal and you hardly felt like it was beating you over the head yep. as yep. an Asian piece of content. Yep. Yeah. Am I right, my white brother? Yeah. <laughs> no. 100%. <laughs> yes. um, it's, yeah. You know, and I feel like that is indicative of a tide of change, yep. you know? Yep. Um, thousand percent. But you, I mean, you, you tell me your take on it. No, I, I love the show. I think the, it's master work. Um, and I think you hit it. It's a universally accessible show. Um, it's obviously very culturally specific in a lot of ways, so it's authentic. But I think people are starting to get that shows that are made by or center people of color, the audience for those shows is not just people of color. Right? It should be obvious. It seems, but it's a like Hollywood logic fallacy, right? You would, it's the hip hop is an example, right? It's the most popular music in the world because everybody likes it, <laughs> right? It's not like, oh, these black creators make this music yeah. and other black people like it. It, it. It's white kids in Beverly Hills like it, kids in Kansas City like it, kids in Baton Rouge, Louisiana like it, everybody likes it, kids in India like it, right? It's universally accessible, right? And so the challenge in narrative filmed entertainment is and remains, oh, it's a, it's a movie with a South Asian cast. Oh, it's for the South Asian community. No, it's just a comedy. Right. Anyone with a sense of humor 
can get it, right? And so the more we see shows like Beef, where we, we at Marginal, we tell our creative partners and our business partners, we like stories where identity is a prism, but it's not the plot. Right? I think so that's and that I think beef nails that it's yeah. very identity identity authentic right it's not generic could be anybody right but at some points you're like yeah that's me <laughs> yeah. right because everybody's trying to pull out of a parking spot and someone's doing something mildly fucked up and you just feel like you know what man not today <laughs> that's actually how you heard his back um, oh really no <laughs> <laughs> road rage I, you look like an angry <laughs> <laughs> that was very aggressive. I saw that trip yeah, down the stairs. Really? It was like you Dude, had you, some anger to get on out. film. Uh, on film, who does that? Except for Donald Glover. Um, Gets it all. Shot on film. The I have three swarm. points I want to hit with the little bit of time we have left. First of all, I think me being a black person sitting in the seat, um, I, it's it's interesting. You talk about like, oh, it features these people, so it must be for them. Um, as I was, we were going through like the curation list and mm-hmm. like. I had this thing where it was like, oh, if I book too many black people, they're gonna think it's a black show. Right. Which is, which is the flip side of, right. I think, of being a marginalized person. Like, yep. you need to present something that, if I'm like That's this right. type of humor, if it's like, I'm calling it um, Hangover, as a yep. bad example. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wanted to be a Hangover movie. I don't need it to be a black or an Asian or right. an LGBTQ, like, whatever it yep. is. I just want it to be what it is. Right. Also, like, so there's this really weird tug of war yep. we have as yep. creators and like being authentic, but also not being placed into a box. Right. Um, I don't need you to comment on that. Nope. You just made me think about it. It's, a, it's a exactly right. Um, and again, one of the many additional burdens yeah. that we have to think about, <laughs> right? Because we know the world we operate in, right? And so if all your guests on the show were, were black, were people of color, is it seen as, oh, it's a minority show? Yeah. It's like, what, what does that mean? When, <laughs> what does that when mean? are you going to become black? Me? Yeah. I'm, I'm just, well, the, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the show's called Master's... See, now you're going to get me canceled. Uh, no, no, don't worry. I, I, that's why I interrupted you. Because I didn't... I was you're like, like, I don't, don't need Sanjay. Don't answer that. Yeah. I, <laughs> um, the show's called Masters of Craft. As you... Masters so of Craft. Masterfully did the vo- voiceover for Masterfully early. crafted um, by Chris Denson. What is something that you're having trouble mastering? Ooh... I don't know that I've mastered anything. I feel a little bit more like jack of all trades, master of none. Uh, the thing I'm having the most trouble mastering is uh, quiet, like just being still. I tried. I meditated for a very long time. I fell off during COVID when probably should have started, but instead I started drinking more and meditating less. Um, and I'm having a very hard time getting back to it. I'd never achieved mastery, would never uh, presume to be able to achieve mastery. But uh, between life, kids, work, nonprofits, you know, just a busy kind of schedule um, and being able to get like still quiet for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, not looking at the phone, not thinking about like, oh, I forgot to send those 10 emails or this or that, like is a real challenge. So... I'm working on that. The game is real. The that's, game that's, is real. That's, that's, a, that's a real talk. Um, do you have any final words? Uh, Caleb. I'll, I'll take this. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I just felt like I wanted to take the microphone for a second, but I also will say one thing that's helped me with that too is 
a little bit of that, you know, ah. that's cause that's my replacement. I don't drink, okay. but I can meditate a lot more now because I'm thinking all the time because you know, so it what, changes. Uh, any particular strain brand? Uh, I, I'm very, I mean, no, no particular brands, but like I prefer I'm to more of a sativa kind of guy okay. cause you yeah. can actually function on sativa. Right. I crash right. anything else. So right. yeah, right. that's, I mean, but it, it honestly, it just, for me as somebody, I, and I have incredibly ADHD, like it's, it's to Helps. a degree that is absurdly been criminally, like it just, it crippled me most of my life. Right. Um, right. But right. it's been helping right. to like, I don't know. I think it just empowers me to kind of embrace a little bit of, of what that ADHD does in me. Yep. Uh, but it turns it into almost more of a superpower for me on the days that I need it. I love uh, it. To be a superpower. And, you, days, and your mode of delivery, preferred mode of delivery, smoking, vape, uh, edible. S- smoking. I try to, ki- uh, yeah, exactly. I, 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 want, I like to favor. Old the- school. Yeah. <laughs> I'm keeping it. I'm keeping it. Just, yeah, I like it. Um, I favor the health side of it. So, um, Best I do have an injectable chemist. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, for me, it's I'm trying to focus on my health. So mm-hmm. if I can avoid vape, I completely avoid vape. Okay. Uh, do I always know? But okay. I would like to, you know. I, Are you now? No. For the most yep. part, I do. But I, yeah, herb is, is kind of where grass is where I, I go it. if love I can. It. But uh, edibles, too, I think. I love it. A purist. Oh, grass. Are you high now? I love that you called uh, it grass. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah. uh, or. <laughs> what's, what's, what are you? What are, oh, no. <laughs> what are you? What are you struggling to master? You've mastered many things. You're a. You you got a lot of accomplishments I, I and like achievements like I under I mean, your belt. I, I you, feel like you know. I, I feel like I've attempted a lot of things, yeah. and I and I feel like I hit like a, a stopping point, and then I'm like, nah. I've, I, you know, find a way to try to pivot around it. So story, I never story. feel fully mastered. Uh, yeah. at most things, and I've had like a lot of different iterations of life and career trying to do better with money right now um mm-hmm. and um mm-hmm. i also uh, the pandemic actually sent me into a space of a little bit more mindfulness and like mm-hmm. my mornings even this morning like mm-hmm. knowing that we have like a full production day mm-hmm. was like got up 30 minutes early did my morning meditation a little bit of body work and you know i was off to the races so uh, not the racists the races and then you went went yes. off to the races <laughs> 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 so, so they're gonna pick me up pretty soon. To, like, all right, great. <laughs> they're all here. Into the, um, into the, but Sanjay, where thank did you. you bring me? Thank you for joining us. <laughs> oh no, am I safe here? Yeah, exactly. Have the, you seen the movie The Green Room? I don't awesome to open the show with awesome you, movie. and I don't know how to close the show with you. And we're out. But I do appreciate you being here and sharing today. Appreciate you, my yeah. guy. Thank oh, you. Uh, you, you were here and too. And we're out. Thank you, Caleb. <laughs>